Good morning. Great time of worship today, and uh, we're glad you're here. Thank you so much. You know, I was really concerned about some of you guys because I know how sweet you are. You made a sugar, and I thought you might melt, but you made it. You're okay. You're all right. Some of you guys I knew were salt, and it was not going to be a problem. I knew that too. We're just so glad you're here today. Really, I'm Dwayne Taylor, in case you're a guest today, and I'm the senior pastor here. And uh, we're doing, we're going to jump back into James back in the uh, early part of February. We did a chunk of James. We decided, you know, James is such an intense book, it's hard to get, you know, kind of like, wow. So, so it's kind of like you know, running, you do a little bit at a time. So, so we did chunk number one of James, and now we're going to do chunk number two, which is chapters three and four, and then later in the summer we're going to do chunk number five, or chunk number three, okay? But today we're back into James, and really cool about James, we call it Growing Up Jesus, because the guy James was the half-brother of Jesus. Jesus was his big brother. They had the same mother, but not the same father, and we know that story. And so James had a unique ability and opportunity to look at Jesus as he grew up. Now think about that. And, and, you know, James really wrestled with that because he did not become a believer in Jesus Christ until after the resurrection. I mean, you can imagine that. You know, come on, I don't care who you say you are. You're my great brother. How can you be the son of God? And then after the crucifixion and resurrection, you know, he said, well, you've got to be the son of God. And he became the leader in the Jerusalem church. Just an incredible, incredible story. And, and so in James chapter 3, he spends the first 12 verses talking about the tongue. And so hence the title, Tongue Suppressor. Now, now, you know, by the way, we should carry one of these. You know, the tongue suppressor is that thing that you have when you go to the doctor's office and he sticks it in your mouth and says, the only thing you can say when a stick is on your tongue, say, ah, you know, you, know, you don't see a doctor very often going, so how are you today? You want to try that again? No, no, but you can say, ah, ah, you know, he wants to look it back there and look at your tonsils and stuff. And, and the cool thing is when the tongue suppressor is in your mouth, you can't say anything bad. And so James, that's really what he says. He spends 12 verses talking about how incredibly volatile the tongue is. Now, we're going to do something like totally different. God like showed this to me this morning, so what we're going to do, we're going to basically read through the 12 verses. I'll make a few editorial comments. But, but I want to come back and tie it up with some other verses. She said, well, Dwayne, why are you doing that? I found out something. As I studied, I realized James told us how bad the tongue was, but he didn't really tell us what to do about it. And I want you to know how bad the tongue is, but I want you to know what to do about it. So the way to do that is to look at James' perspective on the tongue, then come back and talk with Paul and some other guys about what they say about what to do about the tongue. Now you say, well, how volatile is the tongue? Well, here's a story. How many of y'all remember Paul Harvey? Okay, great. Okay. Remember he used to go, and now you know the rest of the story. You know, remember that? Well, here's, here's one of his stories, and... I'm going on what he said. You can figure out if it's true or not. That's an incredible story. I'll make it very brief for time's sake. But there were four reporters, all lived in Denver, and all of them wrote for a different Denver paper. And their job was to find out a story to put in the Sunday morning paper. So they, they, when they didn't have anything to write about, like nothing happened, they, they would go down to the train station and wait for like a, an actor or a celebrity or a politician to come in, and then they could write about what they talked about. So all four of them had no clue, so they all four show up at the Denver train station on Saturday night. Nothing happens. No one gets off the train. So they're sitting there chatting, going, what are we going to do? Well, they decide to go across the street to a bar and talk about it. So they go to the bar, and they're sitting there going, what are we going to do? So one of the guys finally says, after a few drinks, <laughs> says, you know, um, why don't we make up a story? And so they said, that's a great idea. So, so they, they were going to make up stories, you know. And then somebody said, no, 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 no. We need something better than that. 
why don't we all make up the same story and then we can run all the papers together? And they said, what a credible idea. We'll have the same headlines. That would just be incredible. And so, so then they talked about it just a little bit more. And they said, well, um, what are we going to write about? Well, it couldn't be anything domestic because you could prove a false story. So somebody said, let's write about China. So great, great, you know. And so one of the reporters goes like this and goes, I can see it now. Great wall of China to be torn down. And they all said, wow, what an incredible idea. But then they go, wait a minute. Who's going to believe that the Chinese are going to tear down the Great Wall of China? So they thought a little bit more and they said, I know. I know what we'll do. We'll, we'll say that four American engineers passed through Denver last night giving us this story on their way to China. And they're going to tear down the Great Wall of China. The Chinese are hiring them to tear down the Great Wall of China so China would be more open to the Western world and for commerce. That makes sense. So that's exactly what they decided to do. And the next morning, that story ran in all four of Denver's papers. Great Wall of China to be torn down. Well, it was so believable that other papers picked it up. And it ran all across the eastern United States that the Great Wall of China was being torn down. Even was picked up by some international papers. And as you can imagine, word finally got back to China. So China wants to know why it is the Americans are trying to tear down the Great Wall of China. Okay, because they didn't have a clue. Okay, then... There was a subversive group, a very zealous group of Chinese who didn't like Westerners anyway, who were looking for a reason to pick a fight per se. So they believed this story and they said, we will not let these engineers come and tear down the Great Wall of China. They began attacking the embassies in Peking, in China. Okay, And they went and started killing missionaries and hundreds of missionaries lost their lives. Well, when all that destruction happened, all the loss of life... Then countries, 12 of them, I believe, sent troops to China to put down this rebellion. If you remember your high school history, the name of that rebellion was the Boxer Rebellion. Isn't that incredible? Now, you figure out if it's true or not. I'm just telling you, Paul Paul Harvey said that it was. And it all started with four reporters in a Denver bar with a few drinks that said, we need something to write about. The tongue is incredibly powerful, and we've got to be careful. So James starts writing about it, and we're in James chapter 3, and verse number 1. And we're again, we're just going to talk through these verses, then we'll tie it up at the end with some different scriptures. Paul starts this. That's Paul. James says this in verse 1. Not many should become teachers, my brothers, knowing that we will receive a stricter judgment. And again, James is not saying don't be a teacher, but back then... Being a teacher was a really cool thing. I mean, it really, really was. And to be a teacher gave you prestige. Matter of fact, listen to this. Now, remember, these are, these are saved Jews. Did you know that it was in the law that if, if your parents and a rabbi were in a house fire together, you were to save the rabbi before you save your parents? Isn't that wild? I mean, come on. You know, we preachers need to adopt this, you know. You know, it's, it's really incredible. Teachers had that much power and authority. And James says, now, before you jump in and want to be a teacher, you need to understand something. There's a stricter accountability that God is going to hold us accountable. Teachers, whether it be a Sunday school teacher or a pastor or whatever, God's going to hold you to a very strict accountance of the way that you do your job. And then he says these words. He says in verse 2, for we all stumble in many ways. Now, I like that part because, one, I like the we. Dwayne Taylor wrestles with this. 
as well all of us do. But I just need to be honest with you. This is one of those sermons. I like the you sermons better. I can say, you need to do this, and you need to do this, and you need to do this. This is one of those we sermons. It's one that your pastor, and I think the rest of your staff, and all of us, to some degree, wrestle with it. But it really is a weakness with me, how I just sort of well, put my tongue in gear before my brain's in gear sometimes, you know? And I like the we part, but also I like this. He says that we all stumble in many ways. We all sin. And James says, you know, I sin too. And he's the half-brother of Jesus. And the tongue thing is one of those things we go... Well, no, it's not me. Uh-huh, it is. In fact, listen to what John said. John was a contemporary of James. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Wow, how radical is that? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. So we all have this tongue issue going on, James says. It's definitely happening in our lives. So, so he says, a good man out of the good treasure of his... I'm sorry, boy, jump verses, wrong place here. For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a mature man who is able to control his whole body. Wow. James says, if you really learn to master your tongue, then you are a mature believer in Jesus Christ. Isn't that cool? Because we say if you don't drink or if you give money or if you go to church three times a week, that's the sign of maturity. James says no. James says the ability to control your tongue is an outward sign of how spiritual or how mature that you are. Then we go down to verse number 3 through 8. Listen, this is cool. Now, when we put bits into the mouths of horses, we make them obey us. We also guide the whole animal. And we know that, you know. If you're, you know, you know Dwight prays a mule person, but if you're a horse person, you know you have this 700 to 1,000 pound animal. And a little, you know, like a 150 pound guy gets on the horse. And because he has the bit in the horse's mouth, he can control a huge animal. And we go, oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, sure, sure. Bits control horses' mouths. He goes on further and says this. And consider ships. Though very large and driven by fierce winds, they're guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. Well, yeah, that's right. You know, these ships, the, the largest mechanical thing known in this world was ships. And it's cool. You had this great big ship, you had a fierce wind, and wherever the captain turns the rudder, that's which way the ship goes. James says, yep, that's exactly right. We all went, yep, that's exactly what happens. And then he says this. So, too, though the tongue is a small Part of the body. It boasts great things. The tongue is a very small part of my actual body weight. It's a small part of what I do, but it really carries a lot of weight in other ways. And he says this, verse 5 Consider how large a forest a small fire ignites. Mm -hmm. That's right. It only takes a, a small spark in a dry forest, and the whole forest can be consumed. Is that right? Is that right? You know, amazing. The wildfires. The wildfires. All it takes is someone in California, all it takes is someone flicking a cigarette, and boom, the whole forest goes up. James says that's just like our tongue. It can ignite a whole forest on fire. It goes on and says this. And the tongue is a great fire. The, the tongue, a world of unrighteousness, is placed among the parts of our bodies. It pollutes the whole body, sets the course of life on fire, and is set on fire by hell. And you go, well, James, why don't you tell us exactly how you feel? He said, this tongue is a terrible thing. Let me break down real quick. When he says this, the tongue, a world of unrighteousness, okay, is placed among the parts of our body. It pollutes the whole body. In other words, how you use your tongue interprets your personality. It's part of your huge personality. It's how people perceive you. If you've got a mouth that is not kind, a mouth that is polluted... 
People see you as a polluted person. He goes on and says this. He said, sets the course of life on fire. The courser means the lifespan. In other words, from birth to death, the tongue can maim and hurt. And now really like this. He says, and it's set on fire by hell. You know what James says? Now, I didn't say this. But when you misuse your tongue, I mean, your tongue's not used properly, you know what the source of that is? Hell. Satan. The devil. I mean, you really need to grab a hold of that. Every time you're speaking and garbage comes out, that's garbage from hell. Every time you speak and it's unkind, that's straight from the pits of hell. You need to be aware of that and think about that. Do you really want to be a Noah person who speaks about hell? You know, that your source is hell. So this is a huge thing. And you know what I started wondering about? Now, this is totally speculative, okay? I wonder, you know, twice at least, I think three times, but twice James talks about the tongue. I wonder why it's such a sensitive issue to him. I wondered if he remembered when he was a little kid and he'd go to school and, you know, and, and he'd say, you know, he'd hear the kids saying, your mama was pregnant out of wedlock. Your, your, your big brother, Jesus, he didn't have a real daddy. There's not a daddy living in the house. I wonder if he heard all that, all that garbage. Can you understand that, don't you? Any concept that Mary was, oh, and the community just accepted her when she said, I'm pregnant by the, and I've had the Son of God. Nobody. They wanted to stone her. And rumors were circulating. Gossip was spreading. And I wonder if James heard this. And, and he, he that kind of wounded him in the heart. I, I wonder maybe if he went back to the, even though he wasn't a believer then, I wonder if he went back to where, you know, the, the crucifixion. Hey, crucify him! You know, that's my brother. I mean, I may not believe his son of God, but let's don't kill him about it. I wonder if that's why James should be so sensitive about the tongue. I don't know. But it seems to be a logical conclusion. And then he says in verse 7 and 8, Every sea creature, reptile, bird, or animal is tamed and has been tamed by man. But no man can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Wow. Wow. Now, guys, you've got to get this. I almost want to put a little badge on this morning that said, Warning, I'm preaching on the tongue. Be careful what you say. Because it's incredible how you come to church and you hear so much bunk. And you go out in the streets. and from, I mean, from church people. I mean, from God people. Like Jesus follower people. And this stuff just... Blah, Someone wants to use that word bomb. We just bleh on everybody. And James says, man, that's not cool. And so finally he says this. Last verses, verse 9 through 12. We praise our Lord and Father with it. Yay! We praise God. Yay! But then he says, we curse men who are made in God's likeness with it. And then he goes, wait, wait, wait. He goes, I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer, but I'm a little confused. Praising and cursing come out of the same mouth. My brothers, these things should not be this way. He said, one time you're praising God, and next minute you're cutting your brother down. And James says, this shouldn't be this way. And, in fact, and then he logically says this. He says, does a spring pour out sweet and bitter water from the same opening? Nope. Come on, you've seen springs. You don't see sweet water and bitter water come out of the same hole. It just doesn't happen. He, he goes on and says this. He says, well, can a fig tree produce olives? Well, no. Um, my brothers, how about a grapevine producing figs? Uh, no. Neither can salt water, a salt water spring yield fresh water. No. So he's saying there's a real contradiction 
and Jesus followers. When our tongue is just a sewer pit. And it's really a contradiction when you praise God. You want to sing the doxology, praise God from all blessings flow. But the next day or the next hour or the next five minutes, there's this sewer coming out of your mouth. And James just simply said, that's a real contradiction. And that's why he said, these things ought not to be. These things ought not to be. And so, you know, we miss this. You know, we call it the Great Commission. But 90% of people never lead anybody to Jesus or share their faith. We, we, we say, you know, Jesus said, this is how people will know you're my disciples, that you love one another, and we don't love one another. And then we take spirituality and reduce it to how many times you go to church and how much money you give. And those things, not what James says, that you need to control your tongue. If you're a mature believer, you will control your tongue. Hmm. But, but that's where he leaves it. And that was my problem. I mean, he, he gives us this big, long you know, gig about how bad the tongue is, and it's a sewer pit, and it's ignited by hell, and it can affect a whole person's life, it affects his personality, and y'all don't have to do it. Let's go home. It didn't work. So I said, okay, God, this is this morning. What should we give? What would she give? So I've got three passages of scriptures I want to share with you today that will hopefully help us with the tongue. But, but I know this. Listen. In case you're going, Dwayne, are you preaching at me? Absolutely. I want you to know that. Because you are part of the we. And if I could video record this and sit out there next to Jarvis, I would do that. Okay? And I could preach at me too. In fact, when I prayed this morning in my quiet time, I said, Father, this is to Dwayne Taylor. I want you to know I acknowledge that. This is something in my life. I'm part of the we. So what do we do when we have a tendency, and all of us do, all of us do, what do we do when we have a tendency to misuse our tongue? Uh, what do we do when there's too much sewer coming out of our mouth? Uh, what do we do when, when we often put our brain, our tongue in gear before our brain's in gear? What do you do about that? Okay, all right. First off this, um, I want you to take your Bible and turn to Matthew chapter 12, verse 34 and 35. I love this scripture. I love the scripture. And I hope you write, write the reference down uh, and, and remember it uh, like no tomorrow. I call it the great indicator. The great indicator. Matthew chapter 12, verse 34 through 35. Now Jesus is speaking. You say, Who, who's the brood of vipers? It's the church people. It's the Pharisees. It's the religious people. Okay? The ones that are eventually going to try to kill him because he was rewriting the rules. Okay? He says, you brood of vipers. How can you, being evil, speak of good things? And here it is. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So, so what Jesus is saying is, to them, he's saying, you know, you're, you're, when you speak this evil stuff, this, this junk that comes out of you, it, there's a reason why. It's coming out of your heart. And he goes on and says this. A good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, brings forth good things. An evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth evil things. Now, here's what I want you to say. I want you to get this. When junk comes out of your mouth, there's a reason. When junk comes out of your mouth, when evil stuff, when mean stuff, when criticism and bitterness and all that junk comes out, jealousy, envy, and marriage to your children, to your brothers and sisters in Christ, and we get there in Colossians, all of that, there's a reason. And the reason why it's an indicator of what's in your heart. Because Jesus said, who said it? 
Jesus. It's pretty important. When Jesus says things, y'all listen. Jesus says, when, when this stuff comes out of you, it's coming and indicating what's in your heart. That's why you go, whoops, that slipped out. Because we do a pretty good job of hiding what's in our heart. But every once in a while, we get caught. We get caught. And we see what's in our hearts and it's exploded out. Okay? The, the shield, the, the filter fails. And people go, oh man, boy, what, what is that? It comes out of your heart. It comes out of your heart. Oswald Chambers said this. If a cup is filled with only good water, it cannot spill even one drop of bitter water, no matter how badly it is jarred. I love that. Oswald Chambers says, if a cup has nothing but good water in it, it cannot spill one drop of bitter, even if the cup is totally smashed. I'm telling you, when garbage comes out of our mouth, it's an indicator that garbage is in our hearts. It's the great indicator. The great indicator. So then we have the great surrender. The great surrender. Romans chapter 6, verse 12 and 13. This is so big. It's not true with just your tongue. It's true with habits. It's true with lifestyle. It's true with all of that. In Romans chapter 6, verse number 12, read these words. Therefore, Paul says... Do not let sin reign in your mortal body. And, and the, huge, the huge word there is the word let. Do not let sin reign in your mortal body. You know what that implies? You know what it states? There's a choice. In other words, if there's garbage coming out of your mouth, you have a choice. Turn off the garbage disposal. When, you, when we have the opportunity to speak evil and we, we have a chance, we have an opportunity, we have a choice, don't do that. Don't do that. Okay? Now remember the graphic definition and the graphic description that James had about the tongue. Okay? Remember all he said about that. That's why this is so important today. So, so therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, body that you shall obey its lust. Don't do that. Because you are a Christ follower, you have a choice. Now, lost person, if you're here without Jesus... That's kind of explainable. You don't have the power that Christ followers have within them. That's the Holy Spirit. But when we, when we accepted Christ, we died to ourselves. And Christ now lives within us. And we have that power living within us. We have a choice. Don't let sin reign. Don't let your tongue flap. Don't let your body go. Don't let your feet go. Don't let your eyes go. Don't let your mind go. Your ears go. You have a choice. In fact... But Paul says that. Verse 13. Do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Other words, other words, I have a choice. I can let this be an uh, instrument, a member of unrighteousness, or it can be a member of righteousness. These eyes. They can be members of unrighteousness. I can look at things I shouldn't look at. Or they can be members of righteousness. These ears. These ears can hear things of unrighteousness. Or they can hear things of righteousness. See these feet? These feet, I can present them as members of unrighteousness. They can go where they have no business going. Or they can follow after Christ. These hands. These hands can do the work of unrighteousness. Or they can do the members or the work of Righteousness. And Paul says, present yourself to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness. And you have that choice. The old, the old Flip Wilson, the devil made me do it, the devil made me do it. Don't hold water. 
It may be true for Flip Wilson, but as a Christ follower, it does not work for you. It doesn't hold water. So, so Paul says that, that we are to present our bodies as instruments of righteousness. Two quotes in one sermon. Can you believe it? Augustine said this. He, James, he does not say no one, no one can tame the tongue, but no one of men. So that when it is tamed, we confess that this is brought about by the pity, the help, and the grace of God. You can't control your tongue. You can't present your feet. You can't give your hands. You can't give your eyes. Come on, guys. You wonder, why can't I quit looking at her? Why can't I stop looking at that? Why can't I stop listening to the filth? You can't. But by God's grace, you can. And that's, that's the... We, we, listen, we have dumbed down the gospel of Jesus Christ to the point where we say... This is the new norm. Come on, I'm human. God understands. I'm human. Yes, you're human. But if you are a Christ follower, if you're truly born again, you've got the Holy Spirit in you. And all of a sudden, you have options. See, if sin was this unpleasurable thing and the consequences often are, but you know, Bible, I think his number says, sin has pleasure for a season. But I'm telling you, the consequences and the way it grieves God is huge. So Paul says, present your bodies, present your bodies as instruments of righteousness, not unrighteousness. And then finally this, the great revelation. I told Judy I wrote this down. Listen carefully. I'm speaking to Christ followers. Any Christ followers here? Okay, cool. Okay, okay, okay. Here you go. In the context of being a Christ follower, this is not America. You do not have freedom of speech. In the context of being a Christ follower, this is not America. You do not have freedom of speech. You do not have the right to spew garbage when you want to. In fact, Paul said in 1 Corinthians, you are not your own. You are bought with a price. So you don't have the right to just spew whatever you want to spew. You don't have a right to come to church or go to a business meeting or go to McDonald's or go to a barbecue bar and just spill your garbage. You don't have that right. Because you've been bought with a price. Jesus Christ died on a Roman cross that you could be free from the power of sin. Live like it. Live like it. Listen, yes. The world, listen, the world is dying to see this from us. See, anybody cannot drink. A whole bunch of you don't drink. I mean, the, you know, a lot of us don't use drugs. A lot of us don't have affairs. It's easy for us to go, I'm spiritual. I got it all together. How about your tongue? How about your heart? How about your eyes, your ears, your mouth? Where do your feet take you? What do your hands lead you to do? It's huge. This is not America. You don't have freedom of speech. Here's what Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus. One of my favorite scriptures. Let no corrupt word. How many? No. Let, now this is the Bible. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. Well, what is good for necessary application that may impart grace to the hearers. Now, by the way, let me pause. My wife asked me to make this clear, and it was wise. That doesn't mean you can't speak your mind. You just can't do it in an ungodly way. 
You don't have the right to be ungodly. You may have an opinion, and you can share that opinion. You can come and say, Dwayne, I think you're a stinking preacher. You have the right to say that, but it should be with grace. You have the right to say, I think you preach too long. That's cool. And by the way, no one's mentioned my sermons. It's just easy to pick on myself. Wouldn't you let me pick on me than you? <laughs> you know? You can say that, but you've got to season it with grace. Why? Because God's Word says so, and you're a Christ follower. That's why. He goes on and says this. And do not grieve. See the connection? Let me connect. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, and what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. What grieves the Holy Spirit? Sewage. When we're hurtful to one another. And by the way, time out. This sermon was scheduled a long time before the business meeting. <laughs> Just want to, you can go back and look. It's been a long time before the business meeting. All right? Nothing to do with that. Watch out. Verse 31. Listen. Let all, would you all play, please say all. all. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. If your mama was here, she'd say amen. Be kind one to another. Be kind one to another. Be kind one to another. Tender hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Wow. How powerful is that? How powerful. Again, Paul wrote this 2,000 years ago because it was a problem in the church. And here we are 2,000 years later still talking about it. That's what I love about the Word of God. It's so applicable to our lives even today. So, what are some ways that we can, what can we do to practically to get a handle on how we act with our tongue and perhaps even in our parts of our life. Now, this came out of a commentary that I used. I think it was the, uh, it was the life application commentary, but it's really good. Let me read them to you. And um, if you want these, I'll try to get them to you later on. One, count your blessings. By focusing on the positive, we'll take away the anger and bitterness from our spirit that leads us to make negative comments or accusations toward others. When we learn to say, I'm thankful, we have less tendency to say, I don't like you, I don't like you, I don't like you, and I do not like you. When we have that kind of a thankful spirit, it becomes part of our life and it limits the need that we feel have sometimes to judge others. Okay? All right. Number two, get in touch with the love of God. Get in touch with the love of God. As we allow God to satisfy our spiritual needs, we will have less of a need to strike out at others. As we realize how much God loves us, we'll feel less need to lash out at other people. We'll feel loved. You know, when we feel affirmed and we feel loved, we have less tendency to strike out. A woman, a wife, who is not feeling love from her husband, as a natural consequence, will often lash out at that husband. Am I right? But let me ask you a question. How many wives, if you are truly feeling loved by your husband, how often would you lash out at him? He could even leave his dirty underwear on the bedpost again. But, 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 but if, you, if, you, if you feel loved, you'll go, well, I can overlook that. Am I right? Bask yourself in the love of God. You'll feel less needful to lash out at others. Okay. Number three. Wait before responding to a comment Criticism or a piece of gossip. Pause. 
When something comes your way, a criticism, a juicy piece of gossip, pause. Wait. Let your mind get in gear. Now, can I just be candid with you? I wrestle with this. I mean, I make my living talking, and so often, and I tell you what, when you're, when you're, when you put your car in gear and you're not driving it, what happens? Destruction. And when you put your mouth in gear before your brain's in gear, destruction. Can I have an amen? So true. So true. So, so wait before responding. Oh gosh, can I just, I'm doing really pretty good on time. Can I just give you a thought? Email. I've almost become a, not a fan. It's so easy to send. And then you go, I probably shouldn't have sent that. Or then you send a text criticizing someone to the wrong person. Can I have a witness? Be careful. Pause. Think about it before you say it. Last one's this. Treat everything we say as a gift to another person. We should ask, are my words a gift that I truly want to leave in their hands? Let me read that again. It's a good one. Treat everything we say as a gift to another person. We should ask, are my words a gift that I truly want to leave in their hands? Imagine that. What if we pause and say, okay, I'm fixing to give Brent a gift. My words are a gift. Are they really something I want him to have? If they're not, what would your mama say? If you can't say anything nice, don't say it. Amen, Mama. Amen, Mama. Now, here's the deal. Why is this so big? Why is it so big? It's really not that we'll get along in the church, but the world's watching. I mean, guys, when you're down at Barbecue Barn or McDonald's or you're at work and you're saying something critical of another believer and they have no other believer, do you understand what that does to the cause of Christ? It really, it really negates it. It really, you know, God may be working on that person's heart and you go, wait a minute. If he's a Christian and he does that, I'm not sure I want to be that. In fact, you may say, well, well, what about going, what about like to lost people? Well, we got a verse for that too. Colossians 4, 5, and 6. Walk in wisdom toward those who are outside. Outside. Redeeming the time. Let your speech always be with grace. Season with salt that you may know how you ought to answer each one. Did you see it? If you're talking to a lost person and you disagree with them, you seize them with the grace and with salt. You don't compromise. You don't, you don't say, well, I, you know, I, I don't think the Word says that either. No, you stand on the Word of God. You speak what's right. But you season it with grace. I guess what I'm trying to say today, and remember, I'm weak. Because I bet, every, I, bet, I bet 20% of you got some instance where you can say, I remember, Dwayne, you've been here 13 years, and I remember. Well, unfortunately, I do too. I don't, I don't forget. I, boy, if I could go back and live about five instances in my life, I would sure do it, and I would sure keep my mouth shut. I'm being candid with you. I'm just being candid with you. Our friends look at us, our lost friends, and they go, gosh, if that's the church, how are they different from us? I mean, they're impressed that you don't drink. They're impressed that you get them to go to church on Sunday morning. But what really is impressive is when we allow God to teach us and empower us to control our mouths. Amen? Amen. Would you bow your head right there, please?
Now, if you're, if you're not a Christ follower today, you can take a lot of this home and use it. If you'll practice this in your marriage, I mean, if you don't, if you don't even believe the Bible, okay? What I talk about, a lot of what I talk about today, it'll make your marriage better. It'll make your life better. But we, we know something. What we know is, is that this comes alive as we know Jesus Christ as Savior. And today we want to give you that invitation. Every week I have Brother Brent stand down front. And he's here for one reason. Because a lot of what we do here is for you who don't know Christ yet. If you'll come down and say, Brent, I want to know about a guy named Jesus, the big brother of James, who can help me control my tongue. I've seen the damage it does. I don't have a wife anymore because of the damage it does. I don't get to see my children anymore because of the damage it does. And we'll be glad to share with you the great news of Jesus Christ. How he empowers us to live this life. Now, we're all on a journey. We're all learning this. I mean, if we all mastered it or it all happened in one day, I wouldn't be preaching this message. We're on a journey. Just like the sign says, one journey, one destination. We're on a journey to become more like Christ. But we would love to share with you about Jesus. Now, again, this is one message that my prayer would be that every one of us, to some degree or another, would apply. Don't you think there's one person, there's six people, there's, there's about 290. We're a little bit skinny today. There's 290 people on campus today that this message applies to. The question of the hour is, what are we going to do with it? We could be, we could be like James and just simply say, oh, not to do it. But I like the idea of, wait a minute, that's an indicator of my heart. Is there garbage in my heart? There is. God, I don't want that. Do my eyes look at things? Do my ears hear things? Does my mouth say things? Does my mind think things? Does my heart do things? My hands and my feet? God, I don't want that. I'm a Christ follower. I'm a Christ follower. And then going to Paul's Ephesians scripture. God, I don't want bitterness to come out of me. I, I want to be kind to one another. I, I, Lord, I want to be tenderhearted. And I know how much you forgave me. I'm a big sinner. Help me to forgive others. And the cool part is, it's not the little train going, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can. It's you surrendering to God, saying, God, I can't. May I read Augustine's quote one more time? He does not say no one can tame the tongue, but no one of men. So that when it is tamed, we confess that this is brought about by the pity, the help, and the grace of God. What did, what did God tell, what did the angel tell a little probably 15-year-old virgin girl when she said, I've not known a man, how can these things be? The angel said, with God, say it with me, all things are possible. And we say, amen. Thanks, God, for the privilege and the, and the, and the opportunity to share this truth. And I'm part of the we, God. I confess it before these people. This is a real battle for me. And before them, I'm asking you to empower and to help me. And as their pastor, Father, as one who loves them very dearly, I pray, Father, for them also. God, there's a world out there looking at us, and I pray that when they see us, they may see, hear, envision Christ. God, we can't, but you can. For my friend who has never trusted Christ, oh, may today be the day, may today be the day when they say yes to Jesus Christ. Help them to come and tell Brent, I want to know this Jesus. I want to follow this Jesus. And we pray in your precious name. Amen.